Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. I will be reading from the New American Standard Version. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again and the dead from the dead the third day, <clears throat> and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but for you... But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. For there to be a victory, there has to be a conflict. The victory is found in Jesus. The conflict is the living of the life here. I'm in contact with an individual who has spent the greater portion of his life scouring the world to find original editions of the King James Version of the Bible of 1611. He's just written a book on it. He's gone all around looking at every copy that he could find, examining it, talking about its strengths and its weaknesses, what's been added to it uh, when the page has been torn out and so forth. Has about 287 of those that he's, uh, 86 of those that he's located. But spent his love for his life. What is he doing now? Now he's writing the book dealing with the 30 years of Jesus that have been lost. It's going to be a novel. What about all that Jesus said and wrote in his life? What's going to have the impact in one's life? reading about the love that you find in the, that you don't find in the scriptures about Jesus' early life, his mother and his father and their romance together and so forth. Look as he's writing. We looked at the end of Luke and for whatever reason, we do not have Acts that follows immediately. It would be nice if it did, because that is the next writing of Luke. Writes to tell us about Jesus. It's interesting, 
Because as you read through and gleam the lessons that are being brought out, it's a reminder to us that Luke was the Gentile. And as he's talking about a commission given to his Jesus' apostles to go into all the world, it's in Luke that we, in the book of Acts, that we will find Luke writing that those Christians, when they were persecuted and scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word, going in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world, it says that they were only going to the Jews at that time, not to the Gentiles. Trying to catch what they were having to deal with, so as you look at Luke 24, 44 through the remainder of the chapter, and as you go into Acts chapter 1 and the first several verses there, Jesus would spend 40 days following his resurrection, laying down what Luke simply says what they were to do when they went forth. Giving them proof as to who he was and what it was that he was to do. Because sometimes we fail to grasp what it was all about. Well, we, we know Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. All the sin comes short of the glory of God. But if you really absorbed what the gospel is, it's not just a message of salvation through the blood that Jesus shed upon the cross. It's also the message that the world, Jew or Gentile, were wrong in how they were worshiping God. And then to have these 12 who were given a commission to go into all the world and to tell the world just that. You're wrong in your worship. Be you Jew or be you Gentile. You're wrong. And you need to repent. The message had to be hard. From a human perspective, if you will, from guesstimates that people have, excuse me, that people have made. It may have been about 4,000 years before Jesus came on the scene. 2,000 plus years since then. But in that period of time of that 4,000 years, 
Man fully did not comprehend God. It's hard again to read through Exodus. To read of the deliverance of the people from Egyptian bondage. To be led across the Red Sea on dry ground. To be fed manna from heaven, water from a rock. And then for those very same people. To beg Aaron to make him a god. To lead him back to Egypt. Tell them before they went into the land. The land is yours, just go in and take it. Well, they didn't believe it. They would do exactly as they were warned not to. When they got into the land, they thought it was by their own might and their own strength that they had got the land and failed to realize again it was God who gave it. He watched over them, provided for them, gave them prophets. All of that pointing towards a future time. And so, in one degree, it's very hard to believe that after 4,000 years or so of human history, that all of a sudden, all these pieces fell into place. Oh, they had Daniel 3, Daniel 2. They had the understanding that there would be these four major kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greek and the Romans, that in the days of the Romans, God would establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. And then to see that Outside of that 4,000 years, to see from eternity God's plan, and to see it actually unfolded in the gospel, and man's rejection, the Jews' rejection. of who Jesus was. By the hands of godless men, they had him put to death. Then the Gentiles would need to understand God had cared for them as well. They may not have seen it, but again, history shows God's compassion there as well. It's in the beginning part of Acts that Luke reminds them that Jesus spent 40 days showing who he was. Because as you read the closing part of Luke, the resurrection and immediately following after that, even though they saw, they really didn't understand or fully didn't believe 
the apostles. And they are about to embark on a task that continues to this day. They were about to embark on a mission to tell a world that without exception, every single human being will have to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of their sins for the hope of eternal life with God. Every human being. You think about that for those 12 who begin the task. You think about who they were facing as they begin that task. They're in Jerusalem. They're in the holy city of the Jews. They're there at the temple, the pinnacle. The place where God has caused his name to dwell. Who had worshipped them there for centuries. And then to tell them. You killed. God's son. By the hands of godless men. You've crucified him. And put him to death, the Savior. They needed to be convinced that what they were going to preach indeed was so. We're not told what went on in those 40 days, we're not told what evidence, what proof Jesus gave them. In order for them to have that conviction, to be able to stand as Peter and the 11 apostles on that day of Pentecost, and to say and to preach without a moment's hesitation, without any qualms, if you will, from the reading of the text, to absolutely say, you're guilty as charged. To do it in such a way that those that were guilty, or at least 3,000 on that particular day, about 3,000, would be pricked in the heart and ask, men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent. Every one of you, repent. Turn from the sins that separate you from God. The Jews didn't believe they needed to. They were God's chosen people. But they had already been reminded through the ministry of Jesus. Think back to Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus telling the people of his day when they were categorizing sinners, those who had their lives taken in the midst of sacrifice, those on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, they had to be horrible, horrible sinners to be punished by God in such a spectacular way. But Jesus said, Nay, I tell you, except ye repent, you're going to perish as well. To stand before individuals 
that knew the scriptures from their youth up, to stand before individuals in the holy place of God, whose history was rich, and tell them, you're going to perish unless you repent. They had better be convinced that what they were saying was so. And they were. Those 40 days and then the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost empowering them from on high. They had to be convinced that what they were saying was true. But they were slow to grasp, were they not? You get to Acts chapter 8. And there's a great persecution that arises against whom? Against the church. And the disciples are scattered abroad. And it says that they went everywhere preaching the word. Wherever they went, they were preaching the word. It's not till you get over to Acts chapter 11. Down around verse 14, I believe it is, in that area. They were preaching to the Jews only. They were scattered abroad. They left Jerusalem. They left Judea. They left Samaria. They had gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. But at that particular time, they were only preaching to Jews. They had missed the message. The message was not for the Jewish people only. The message was for humanity in its totality, without exception. And they had missed that. The message hasn't changed. The gospel is still the same. It has the same purpose. And it needs the same conviction from those who go forth. You need to know they did not have what we have. They did not have a New Testament in a printed form bound together. They wouldn't have that for centuries or so. They would have the letters that were written, letters that they copied, But they wouldn't have the total truth as we have it. And again, that need to be convinced. You're telling the world, you're telling the whole world, regardless of where they are at, regardless of the customs that they've been accustomed to, regardless if they've had a knowledge of God or not, you're telling the world every individual in the world that unless you repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is the Lord, no other name under heaven given among men by which, by which men must be saved than that of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and verse 12. That you have to repent or you're going to perish. Matters not what you brought up. And that is, matters not what your heritage is, as it was for the Jews. 
This matters not that you've had the scriptures. Unless you believe that gospel and respond to it, you're going to perish. You need that evidence as well. You need that conviction. Because again, you're telling every individual that you come in contact with. That's what has to be. Doesn't matter what your religious heritage is. Doesn't matter how you've been brought up. It's not matter what you believe. Unless you understand what the Bible is teaching. Unless you understand the message of Jesus. Your salvation is not based upon your morality. They're a good moral person. They'll give you the shirt off their back. That's not the basis for salvation. Oh, well, they've done many good deeds. That's not the basis for salvation. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these mighty works in your name? And he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. There are those who will claim Jesus as Lord, but will not do what he says. Luke 6, 46 tells us, Jesus himself says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Again, Luke is interesting, being the Gentile. As he traces the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew starts from Abraham and comes up to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and goes back to Adam, who was the son of God. There's a little difference in there. Luke is for for the Gentiles, for all people. So he takes it all the way back. The gospel is for all. And again, it was the religious people who began the persecution against those that were preaching God's word. Has that changed? Are you convinced what you believe, what you read, what you devoted your life to, what you're following is God's truth. And that is what we must follow, is God's truth. It requires a conviction, as it did for them. The conviction that no matter what man does, that Jesus had already told them that. They persecuted him. He said, they're going to persecute you. They put him to death. Do not be surprised if they put you to death. But what does matter is what is your relationship with Jesus and with God the Father? That's the only question that you can answer. We make that decision to obey him. Will we have that conviction that I am, that I know in whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep my soul until that day. I know who Jesus is. 
He's not just a mere man. He is God who came in the flesh. Do I believe that? Am I willing to commit my physical life to that? Am I willing to trust my eternal soul with that? Will I take up that cross and follow him? It's a question that only you can answer. I've often said God in his grace and in his mercy and his patience grants us time, grants us opportunity. But the world itself will also remind you there is no guarantee even of today that you're going to live. No guarantee. There may be those who say, I know I need to. I know I should. I'm planning to. But there is no guarantee of the next breath to be yours. Are you prepared to meet your God? Are you prepared to stand before him? Either answering for the sins that you committed in this life for yourself or standing before God to have the sins that you committed in this life be washed in the blood of the Lamb. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. And He is the only way to heaven. If you need to respond to His invitation, where He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. And there you shall find rest for your souls. Or if you struggled with it and need help, or if you need to come home, if there's any way that we could assist you or help you in making a life right with God, so that indeed eternity may be yours, eternity with God, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. Thank you.